Max makes food gratitude and relief radio part zero. Intuitive Public Radio is an internet-based public health, art, and advocacy project that I have been working on with international friends and colleagues for a number of years. One of the things we have done each day is to imagine together the lives of microbes. The lives of microbes and our own lives are so interconnected, especially for those of us who are aware of how we and our microbes eat together. Understandings of microbially healing foods and safe fermentation practices strengthen our communities and those we have been reaching out to, especially at this challenging time. To talk about this on a public platform with kindness, solidarity, and a healthy dose of whimsy, you must know, is restorative to all of us, including and especially many very scared people and whole communities suffering in pain or confusion. My own healing journey has required deep emergency education about fermenting every possible food I can ferment. A crucial part of restoring my function after digestive failure has been in building relationships with the populations of tiny people in the cultures I am fermenting. Friends and neighbors to me sharing food with me, sharing their lives with me even invisibly. This food-based relationship building has also been a relief in prolonged isolation and a means of recovering from trauma, all of which many people are newly experiencing. In community, when we imagine together what we cannot physically see, people who are struggling find they can learn and develop new skill sets more easily. This is a leverage point I have used to come back from neurological injuries a number of times and has proven life-saving for us to remember on a daily basis. More notes available at intuitive.social slash kitchen. Blessings, Max Morris, intuitive.social slash hello slash Max, and intuitive.pub slash radio. Follow our live broadcasting by navigating to intuitive.pub slash text. Today, Max and Michon, broadcast room April 13th, 2020. Michon Neal and Max Morris and Intuitive Public Radio. There is a Zoom meeting link if you'd like to join us and please feel free. There is also a link 
to a live broadcast notes and transcript document. Previous live streams can be found at facebook.com slash intuitive public radio slash live intuitive.pub slash tv and intuitive.pub slash tv slash max Musical Maglips on Intuitive Public Radio You 
turned everything off and I went. <laughs> I did it. Sure, it can be better, but I did it. I did it. I keep saying the metamorphosis I'm experiencing is a real doozy. But once you've said something like that over and over, honestly, meaning it with your whole body, it's not just the nature of those words that change. It's the nature of all words that changes. And somehow that is the same as the change having you. Mark your calendars for today, April 17th, 2 p.m. Eastern. Later today, shortly before 2 p.m. Pittsburgh time, we will meet via Zoom to broadcast a real-time intuitive public story circle for any who wish to participate. Thank you to the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture and to the Poor People's Campaign for supporting communities to participate in the People's State of the Union, hashtag PSOTU, and our Story Circle content on this intuitive public radio. You can visit actionnetwork.org slash events slash intuitive public story circle to see our page launch from the end of March. You'll notice that the date listed is May 1st. That's because we're meeting today, April 17th, and again, May 1st. Please join us at both gatherings or either one that suits your calendar. We will keep updating the page date to keep the page live where you can find it. Close to 2 p.m. Eastern on April 17th, check our live broadcast document, which you can always find at the top of intuitive.pub text for the Zoom meeting link. Click it and join us. Visit intuitive.pub slash story circle for more. So, metamorphosis. Before our schedule necessarily shifted, Michon was feeling the urge to discuss metamorphosis, and it's a good, present, relevant topic, isn't it? Z is metamorphosing. I am metamorphosing. You, you yourself, believe it or not, are metamorphosing too. More and more, we are all realizing how we metamorphose together. Team human on planet Earth is sure metamorphosing together. I mean, can you feel it? We seem to some people to broadcast a lot of dead air, but it's not dead air. If you listen more closely, you'll find it's full of life. <laughs> it sure
sure is full of life. Here are some main points we've been discussing recently. First, each of us needs community. As Douglas Rushkoff says of team human, being human is a team sport. Even and especially for those of us who need space, privacy, and isolation from others in order to support our own best health. We also need community resources and connectivity in order to survive. Without safe community, we cannot survive. If any one of us finds ourselves suddenly disconnected or undeservedly excluded from community, our likelihood of survival can drop rapidly. We offer the privilege of community to one another so that no single individual or small group must shoulder survival burdens alone. It turns out we are wiser, stronger, kinder, and healthier when we coordinate respectfully together. Second, effective communication is crucial. Every day we practice intuitive listening to ourselves, to one another, to our environments and circumstances. Part of our intuitive listening practice is reflecting, sometimes simply repeating, what we have heard in order to find out if our understanding is accurate. It is especially important to practice intuitive listening with a person who is asking for help or saying they have been harmed so that the help provided is most accurate to that person's need. Intuitive listening can prevent the mischaracterization of physical trauma as threat or pathology, a problem which causes increased and terrible, unnecessary suffering in our society. Third, there are a tremendous number of people whose best health and happiness are not compatible with the stringent capitalist approaches of the mainstream. Rather than discounting the valuable and life-saving problem-solving that comes from sources invisible to capitalism and non-capitalist approaches, we value the critical lived experience, hard-won expertise, emergent solutions, and honorable living beings the capitalist mainstream has tended to misunderstand or dismiss. We refer to these three points in lots of ways. We could refer to them now as 1. Shared community 2. Intuitive listening and 3. Survivor-led solutions However we name them, these three principles applied separately or in conjunction with one another literally repair brain function and restore physical health in a world fuller than we realized of severe or invisible trauma and environmental neurotoxins. These three principles, one, shared community, two, intuitive listening, and three, survivor-led solutions, 
also prevent violence, suicide, human trafficking, the invisible compounding of trauma, and other causes of premature and wasteful death. When we apply these principles, conflict can be resolved without harm, individuals in distress can be supported to meet their needs, and resilience increases across our communities. In a world so vocally in need of survival resilience, this must be our first step. Excerpt from Mishan Neal's book, Lilith in the Time of Toba. I sang with the moon as it gently massaged the earth with oceans and then rolled the waters of my own body. I howled and crowed and let my being open to the pulse of the universe's breath. Gravity. I traced the stars, warping and bending the space as if rippling water. I wanted to wrap my body in those waves. I vibrated in the air, calling out with my entire being for the one that I knew resonated perfectly with me. Find more about Lilith in the time of Toba by visiting t.me slash s slash the metanoic portal and metanoicother.education. Intuitive Public Radio and this intuitive community are a creative growth medium. We produce and revitalize the substrate of resilience and recovery from traumas as an interconnected community. With care, seeds can sprout. You Yes, you are invited to join us today at April 17th, 2 p.m. Eastern via Zoom to live stream broadcast a real-time intuitive public story circle for any who wish to participate, especially our community members who can only participate with our shared content. Thank you to the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture and to the Poor People's Campaign for supporting communities to participate in the People's State of the Union, hashtag PSOTU, and our Story Circle content on this intuitive public radio. 
Make sure to find links to these organizations and support their work by visiting usdac.us, poorpeoplescampaign.org, and today's broadcast document at intuitive.pub slash text. Visit actionnetwork.org slash events slash intuitive public story circle to see our page launch from the end of March. We're meeting today, April 17th, and again May 1st. Please join us at both gatherings or either one that suits your calendar. We'll keep updating the page date to keep the page live where you can find it. Each year, the President delivers a State of the Union address in which they tout their achievements and vision for the future of our democracy. But we the people know that true democracy is a conversation, not a monologue. Join us for a story circle as part of the People's State of the Union. This is a powerful way of coming together, getting to know one another, and reflecting on the state of our community, country, and world. No need to prepare anything, just show up and be yourself. This year, the People's State of the Union is taking place in partnership with the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. This is an invitation to come together to share our stories and visions for a more just future, to confront the evils of systemic racism, poverty, ecological devastation, and militarism, and to take powerful next steps together. We are so glad if you can join us. How to join our story circle at Intuitive Public Radio. First, click the red button at the top of this page, actionnetwork.org slash events slash intuitive public story circle. That will send us your RSVP. Our IPR story circle, with more information at intuitive.pub slash story circle, is asynchronous and location independent. This means you and your loved ones can participate from anywhere, anywhen, not just Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you aren't able to meet simultaneously with others, that's no problem. In this intuitive community, we are broadcasting shared stories and meaningful lived experiences 24-7. That means we started March 31st, 2020, and we keep going forever. If you reach us after that date, we'll still be rolling. To share your story across our intuitive community network, visit intuitive.pub slash broadcast. Record a message directly to Anchor FM by visiting anchor.fm slash intuitive slash message or email public at intuitive.pub. To start your story with one of our question prompts, there is a document linked on the Intuitive Public Story Circle pages 
and I need an easier link to read, you'll find the question prompt link for certain on the page intuitive.pub slash story circle. It's a document. And if you'd like to make a suggestion, email us at hello at intuitive.social. We will add your suggestion. When you participate in this asynchronous story circle, you may send content once or continue to send us your stories ongoing. We would love to hear from you. Remember to tell us how we can find and support you. To participate in group broadcasts, email hello at intuitive.social to schedule a collaborative anchor, audio, or Zoom or StreamYard video recording. You may like to install Telegram Messenger and browse our public channel directory for a subject you find meaningful. In these Telegram channels, you can follow along and broadcast together with us directly from the Telegram app. You may also send us a blog post for intuitive.pub radio or another specific community platform. If you'd like to tune into the stories of our circle, You're in Luck, there are lots of ways to follow what we publish. A good place to start is intuitive.pub radio. To join us behind the scenes in bringing Story Circle experiences to members of our intuitive community network, email volunteer at intuitive.pub and introduce yourself. We're looking forward to working with you. Thank you for visiting and sharing in our Story Circle. Thank you for supporting those you meet and learn about. And thank you for sharing your stories in community on this intuitive public radio. As it gets closer to 2 p.m. Eastern on April 17th, 2020, check our live broadcast document, which you can always find at the top of intuitive.pub text for our Zoom meeting link. Click it and join us. Visit intuitive.pub slash story circle for more. Some moments ago, or in the last day or two, how does time even work now? Douglas Rushkoff posted on Twitter a quote from his article. We were naive to think that digital technology would be intrinsically and inevitably more empowering than any medium that came before it. Whoever controls media controls society. He added a link to the Medium article, and I'm going to read to you from it. This is section 31 of the new book, Team Human, by Douglas Rushkoff, which is being serialized weekly on Medium.
We were naive to think that digital technology would be intrinsically and inevitably more empowering than any medium that came before it. Yes, digital networks are more directionless and decentralized than their broadcast predecessors. They allow messages to flow from the bottom up or the outside in. But like all media, if they're not consciously seized by the people seeking empowerment, they'll be seized by someone or something else. Whoever controls media controls society. Each new media revolution appears to offer people a new opportunity to wrest that control from an elite few and reestablish the social bonds that media has compromised. But so far, anyway, the people, the masses, have always remained one entire media revolution behind those who would dominate them. For instance... Ancient Egypt was organized under the presumption that the pharaoh could directly hear the words of the gods as if he were a god himself. The masses, on the other hand, could not hear the gods at all. They could only believe. With the invention of text, we might have gotten a literate culture. But text was used merely to keep track of possessions and slaves. When writing was finally put in service of religion, only the priests could read the texts and understand the Hebrew or Greek in which they were composed. The masses could hear the scriptures being read aloud, thus gaining the capability of the prior era to hear the words of God. But the priests won the elite capability of literacy. When the printing press emerged in the Renaissance, the people gained the ability to read, but only the king and his chosen allies had the power to produce texts. Likewise, radio and television were controlled by corporations or repressive states. People could only listen or watch. With computers came the potential to program. Thanks to online networks, the masses gained the ability to write and publish their own blogs and videos, but this capability, writing, was the one enjoyed by the elites in the prior revolution. Now the elites had moved up another level and were controlling the software through which this all happened. Today, people are finally being encouraged to learn code, but programming is no longer the skill required to rule the media landscape. Developers can produce any app they want, but its operation and distribution are entirely dependent on access to the walled gardens, cloud servers, and closed devices under the absolute control of just three or four corporations. The apps themselves are merely camouflage for the real activity occurring on these networks, the hoarding of data about all of us by the companies that own the platforms. Just as with writing and printing, we believe we have been liberated by the new medium into a boundless frontier, even though our newfound abilities are entirely circumscribed by the same old controlling powers. At best, we are settling the wilderness for those who will later monopolize our new world. That's the end of the article. That's what he ends on. 
I have heard this before because I listen regularly to Douglas Rushkoff's Team Human podcast, which you can find out more about at teamhuman.fm. I got into the first handful of paragraphs and I felt, aha, I was listening to Douglas, I, I assume read this, um, or, or perhaps it was transcribed from his audio later. Uh, it was probably the latest episode. He just posted it on Twitter. And in this case, as in other cases, I keep reading because the, the importance of writing that experience into my body, of reading words that are so important to me and to people I care for, it's much more important that I repeat it and repeat it for myself and whoever else needs to hear it so that amidst ubiquitous environmental neurotoxic damage that a whole lot of us are experiencing, we still get to keep those memories. We write them into our bodies and we use a lot of different learning modalities to do it. I have read the piece as I vocalized it, as I performed it by feeling it in my whole body. I have heard Doug Rushkoff broadcast it at teamhuman.fm. I have seen snippets of it here or there, or I have played just pieces of the podcast so that I was experiencing it from many different directions. And the really best one for me, personally, is reading it on the radio. That is likely because of many of the experiences I've had over the course of my life, but it is deeply, truly true. If I can read meaningful content on the radio, I remember it better. I have more immediate access to the skill sets I learn as a result of it. And maybe the best part is I get to share it with you. your what is your earliest memory Evan Jakes what is your earliest memory of me talking about broadcasting me building broadcasting infrastructure me having a broadcast room what what do you you might remember more than me about some parts of how this began I remember yeah, I remember you asking me if I wanted to be on the radio with you, and I thought you were yeah, just we like about that last time too. Yeah, I didn't understand what you meant at first because I didn't realize you meant internet radio. So I was thinking, there's no way we're going to get it together to go to a radio broadcasting station and be on the radio. <laughs> and here you are in your radio broadcasting station, being on the radio. Um, it's interesting how organizations that used to have a lot more media privilege and media leverage are more and more, especially recently, needing to 
interact with people in communities on the level at which people in communities have media privilege or media leverage. Um, there are a lot of people with otherwise expensive systems that are now piping those systems to the, how do I say, um, basic, more basic tool sets that, that a consumer level tool sets, but it's more than that. It's not just consumer level. It's um, where people have entry points into broadcasting video or audio or publishing for free, which are increasing. People have more and more access to that, but now uh, there are swanky media organizations that are visiting us on that turf and they're having to learn how to use those tools in a way that is not hugely dissimilar from the everyday person who can learn how to use those tools. So there's something, something about the landscape is happening. Um, so over some number of years since I first started talking to you about the radio, I have been struggling through a lot of death and death, death I was going to say death and dismemberment. Um, sure. Uh, my poor dismembered guts. I, I don't know if that's exactly accurate as I would like to be, but um, it's been bad. It's very bad. And the tool sets that I learned to use as a media professional when it came to broadcasting or performing or publishing, um, many of those tools turned out to no longer be accessible to me if I was disabled. And a huge part of building a studio I could broadcast from has been giving myself options in regards to getting out of the EMF. Um, so, I won't try to show you now, although it would be so cool if I could, but I don't think I can this moment. But I have um, my keyboard and anything that I need to use needs to be able to pull away from the, from the computer. So the computer's up here on its own sort of minimalist mobile hacked together uh, platform stand. It's about standing height. And then this right here is separate. Um, the only way that I have a chance of using the computer for a few minutes at a time, most of the time, I, I make compromises to get on the live stream, which has been interesting. But most of the time, I have to keep seven to 10 feet between me and the computer. Okay. So I'm back there. So I usually push this bench back and I bring this back with me and I'm much further from the computer, but it gets me out of the worst radius of the, of the EMF coming from the computer. And then I have a slim little chance that I can turn the Wi-Fi on on my phone to do something from back in that corner. Um, there are a lot of things that are like that that I don't, I don't know where or how other people talk about things like this or if, I mean, there are people out there who had to figure out how to use their equipment when the EMS is killing them, right? They're out there somewhere. I just I would, don't know who they are. 
I would imagine most people would just give up, wouldn't they? I, 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 I feel demoralized thinking about just kind of making that statement and using the words most people. Sorry. Do we, do we do that? I said, no, don't, don't apologize. I think I'm afraid it might be true. Most, do most people give up? <sighs> My heart hurts. Do most people give up? Or just on that, do you think? I didn't mean they would give up on life. I meant they would give up on trying to engage with the internet, which for some people might be the same thing, of course. For me, it was the same thing. Yeah. I didn't want it to be the same thing, but it turned out to be the same thing because the only skills that I had that I had a chance of using to communicate effectively, they all required me to use computer type things and digital devices because I had been spending a lot of years developing my career in those spaces. And it, when my brain was in greatest danger, um, those were the skill sets that I had to grasp at. And if I had not done any of those things, I don't think I had really any way to communicate. I think 80 to 90% of my ability to communicate would have been gone if I had given up on the technology. And then the people I found and the, the different kinds of support that I found I would not have found, and so I would have been dead many times over because I found them using those skill sets from, from studying design and web development and various kinds of tech and business and marketing and performance and media. Right, and it's very well established that at this stage in our society, if someone is desperate, they either beg on the streets or they go on the internet. And if people are disabled from going on the internet to meet their needs, they're probably also disabled from going on the streets to meet their needs. So what do they do? They blow their noses. That's what I think they do. Sorry? That might not be right. No, I literally didn't hear you. Oh. <laughs> I said they blow their noses. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray for nonsense. And then I blew my nose, right? Let's blow our noses of this entire society. Well, no, just the bad bits, actually. Let's not blow our noses of the entire society. I don't know if in my previous life I had thought much at all about people who couldn't be on the streets. I had this idea. I, I'm a little shaky on this, but this is what I think is going on. We'll find out as I talk through my mouth. Um, I think that my concept was that people become homeless and that's terrible and we don't want it to happen, but we, as a culture, as, as any group in our culture, we don't know what to do about it. Um, so people end up on the streets and then we try to help them however we can. But I don't think I ever thought about or understood that some people could not make it to the streets could not yeah. make it homelessness because homelessness itself um, would either kill them or, or expose them to, to such terrible physical traumatization that there's no, they, they don't, so we never hear about, they're not the homeless people that we help. Who are they? And I don't think I had any idea about that before a number of different interesting things happened to me. 
um, over some years. No, I didn't either. It's it's not the it's not the boogeyman that we grow up with, is it? You know, if you don't do your work, then your parents say, "Well, do you want to live in a cardboard box when you grow up?" Which, of course, sounds really cool, which defeats the object. But you don't. There's no. There's there's you. It is invisible. The whole the whole tranche of people who are who are just stuck in rooms trying to survive with nothing because they can't interact or earn money in the normal ways. It's not visible. It's not what we think of as a person in trouble being. That wasn't very clear, was it? Oh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of turning it over in my head. Please, can you continue? Do you have more that you can say about it? Maybe it will gel. Um, you've disappeared. But I can still hear you. There, so there are exciting it. toggles on this thing that let me change the screen while we're talking. Oh, okay, so great. Practicing. All right. Um, it's it's not something that people are prepared for as a thing that might happen in their lives. I think most of us, especially most of us with any kind of brain difference, have have thought. Growing up, what if I did become homeless? How would I survive? Where would I live? What would I eat? Like, what would what would I do as a homeless person? And had probably a whole idea worked out. You know, would we get a dog? How would we beg? And all of this kind of thing. But we we haven't thought like, what if I'm trapped in a room with a chronic illness, unable to interact with the outside world? What will I do then? Yeah, I think that. I think that one of the things that's happening is not only the EMF exposure, it's also that when I think back to a time before all of these experiences, I really, I'm, I'm coming up with nothing or very little. It's kind of hard to say, but like I'm going back into a previous brain and I'm saying, well, what did I know about this? How did I understand this? And I'm, as of this moment, I guess I'm coming up with nothing. And that's really interesting because I had a lot of interactions with others in regards to my desire to help people who were at the most vulnerable points people get to. I had a number of interactions with others about um, where do we integrate understanding of and action in regards to homelessness. Um, my dad has been disabled and then severely disabled for basically my whole life when i was a when i was a young kid he was he, he was working but um then there was a point i'm not sure exactly how old i was but i wasn't very old when he stopped having to work and even our family understandings of disability were so limited um i think the consensus is they were limited because disabled people in general, um, do not have support uh, that, that people who are not disabled and families who are not disabled and communities who are not disabled take for granted. Um, and as a result, we, we've been so stressed that, well, we've been so stressed and then I discovered that I had been being poisoned for a large portion of my life by environmental contaminants that we were told were safe and we didn't know anything about the genetic um, the genetic difference that, that one in four people or so K 
can't detoxify those contaminants. So my experiences of being roofied um, earlier in my life, which I never called being roofied, um, that really changed my sense of a lot of things that have happened over the course of my life. But I was really shocked to find out that we had never developed a robust enough understanding of how to support disabled people with disability in our family because of so much terrible stress and, and trauma that, that has happened to basically everybody, not just in my family, but everywhere. People are, are realizing what they have actually had to deal with in their lives. And so when I became suddenly terribly disabled, and I don't know at what point we say severely, but wow, it was really extreme from, from early on um, when I, when I came down with severe environmental illness um, and, uh, uh, at the end of 2013. It wasn't that bad at the end of 2013 in comparison to what it became shortly thereafter, um, in the next few years thereafter, certainly. Um, I had this weird idea that we knew what disability was in my family because some of our family members were disabled. And then I found out that what we knew about disability was not, it wasn't sufficient for me to survive, but I couldn't just die politely and quietly. It wasn't sufficient knowledge about severe disability to keep people from rampantly misinterpreting me when I would, when I would ask for my needs to be met so that I wouldn't end up screaming and begging and incoherently struggling to get my needs met in a way that turned me into a, a terrible monster that other people didn't want to deal with. So disability, disability wouldn't have just killed me quietly. Disability would have made me into a, an alarm clarion um, that never stopped sounding like, like if, the, if the fire alarm goes off in your house and you can't reach it and it just keeps shrinking in you day after day after day after day after day. I'm looking at the fire alarm thing that has traumatized me a few times <laughs> that I can't reach, so it's not up there. Um, anyway, the there's this big blank part of my brain that I thought had the job of understanding that there are disabled people in the world and there are people in hardship and they need our help and we all need to help each other. And I am still a little shocked to try and think back on that time and realize that I, I didn't have a concept of that. And we all really need to have a concept of that if we are to avoid the, the wasting of living beings of human life. Yes, I think, well, a few things that you said really joined up for me. Um, starting with, obviously, I don't know your dad really at all, but in general, older disabled people and especially older, like professional class disabled men are like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a burden on anyone. I'm, you know, just bloody get on with it. Sorry, I don't know if that was even clear. I was accidentally doing an impression of an old professional class disabled British man and it was probably completely... No, it works. <laughs> um, uh, my, my, my dad has, has, um, has approached his disabled circumstances with, um, with doing the best he can and, and having a full, courageous heart and doing his best not to lay what he perceives as his burdens on other people. 
Um, and when I have talked to him about that, um, I have learned a lot more about how my grandfather, my father's father, um, he was very sick um, towards the end of his life. And the, the, the people around him seemed to say, if only we had known what he was going through, he was so beloved, he, he would have had more help, he would have had more support. But, but it's still a point of honor that, 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 he, that he didn't tell people what was going on. And in that time, I don't know if there was even a way for him to do it, and maybe he wouldn't have known how to do it, but, but he didn't really tell people what was happening for him. And um, I think family, family has said that we think that my grandmother knew some things, but, but maybe, you, you know, it was supposed to be hush-hush. I think... I think that there was a concern that as a businessman, people wouldn't interact with his business. He wouldn't have any income if people found out that he was sick. Um, oh, and so I absolutely understand why, why my dad would, would um, move through some of those steps. And the way that this has happened for me it is so clear that my dad should have had more support my whole life and I had no idea what, what disability was doing just to the people around me who didn't have a language with which to speak, speak about it. And so having a broadcast room, uh, having a, a community radio that, that addresses these things compassionately and, and inclusively and makes sure that, that people have a means of talking about things that, that are challenging to understand um, is really part of that for me because I couldn't survive doing what my dad and grandpa did. I could not stay more quiet about what my needs are. I keep being driven into screaming like the fire alarm because literally fire alarms are needed, but not... In, not in the same way if we restore community media privilege, then, then one person in, in isolated circumstances here and there and all over the place doesn't have to be the alarm clarion. We can be having a public conversation about how some people are severely disabled in ways that, that they need help long before they reach homelessness or else the terrible results to all our communities and we're living that apocalypse. Yes, I think what, what I realized from what you were saying is that a few generations, a couple of generations ago, maybe one generation ago, you would have died politely and quietly or you would have been the mad one in the attic because the <sighs> ethos was not to bother people with your problems. And, you know, yeah, the, you know, the men would be strong and upstanding and, and, you know, die with their boots on and the women would, would fade away angelically and, you know, say something beautiful about heaven. Um, and that's what you were expected to do. And that is why we, that is literally what, that was the expectation. There was a culture around illness of this kind and it was to die well. I think what I'm uncomfortable with is the use of the past tense. That's what <laughs> I done too. Yeah. Before, I, not even that long ago. And like, I keep forgetting because trauma 
can wipe out your brain so you don't remember anything over and over and over. And, and I have caught myself doing it long since I should have known better. And um, the, the past tense is what I thought. That's, that's what I thought about these things. I thought we used to do those things. We don't do them anymore. And then they all, I mean, I'll just say it this way. It's not exactly the same. But And then they all happened to me. Mm. And I tried to tell the people around me, um, we're not supposed to do this to people. We're not supposed to let this happen to people. And what I found was that there were these embedded professional, um, how do I say this, embedded professional templates that are currently in use in our culture to deal with extreme circumstances that we happen to know from having documented it now make a lot of those extreme circumstances worse and then place the blame on the people who, if we listen to them, we could actually um, sort it out. But these kind of, this, this kind of ethos that people who are, who are sick in a way that is tremendously difficult for those around them should die politely is still here now. Even though the culture around it has has supposedly changed because we're now in like a millennial world where people can say, I'm having problems, please help me. Um, we don't have the structures in place that when somebody is saying, no, I'm having really, really, really bad problems all the time, please help me lots and lots all the time or I'll die. People can actually deliver that because it takes a lot more than wanting to. So I think... I could stay in this part of the conversation for basically ever, I think. Um, and, and I think that a really good place for me to move to from that point is that when we are sharing privileges with one another that are about making media and having public conversations and having, having more of the kind of media privilege that I guess we came to assume that only those people should have, which was never my thing because I went into I went into that as careers. Um, so so that you know I always thought I am I am learning these things. This is this is my kind of space. This is familiar to me. Um, and I was mostly interacting with people who understood media spaces. But lots of people think media is something that other people make. We don't know how to do that. We're not journalists. We're not YouTubers. We're not this or that. Um, but when you when you help people to notice where certain kinds of technology and tool sets make it very easy for them to have media privilege and to hold public conversations and um, to share information and resources that are life-saving, um, they don't need to leave it to, to people they don't know and can't reach. They can do it themselves. And so when the apocalypse is reaching more and more people, it's so helpful for them to know that they could have some more media privilege than they had because then they don't have to die quietly. Um, they could actually reach out and get help. And I keep thinking of the zombie movies with the, the, the one remaining person with the, with the whatever short range radio or walkie talkie thing. Um, short, short range radio, probably. I don't know what those things are. I'm thinking about I Am Legend with Will Smith and the German Shepherd. 
Um, but it, you know, like every zombie movie where somebody finds a radio and manages to send something out on the radio um, every morning at the same time and hopes that someone will hear them and maybe someone will have a radio and will be able to respond. Um, that is hugely what we've been doing now for years. And I'm not sure since when. So like, I guess since 2015 maybe is radio stuff, but I'm not sure. Um, we were doing podcasting before that. Um, when we have awareness of the media privilege that is possible, we can get our needs met instead of assuming that we have to die. I mean, that's pretty basic. Yeah. So I'm glad that I have um, broadcast infrastructure. It's weird really feeling in my body like i used to watch movies about post-apocalyptic landscapes where you would you would find a a dusty um uh, a, a, a sort of dusty destroyed town with one building and and one person um i think usually it was a dude in in the middle of a, a ton of old electronics just fixing whatever he can fix. I think the one, I think the movies that I saw with that it tended to be a dude. But um, I always, uh, I, I always really thought that that was a, a grand kind of endeavor and an important job. And I was so glad that some person in whatever apocalypse story was doing that so that the protagonist could find them and 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 find. Uh, in, let's see, in the book of Eli. It, that, which is a movie that's great. Um, uh, in the book of Eli, I think he needed a charge cable. He was listening, he was hanging on to the music on a, like a really old iPod or something with one of the round um, rotary things on the front. I don't remember what that's called. It's like a rotary touchscreen thing. Um, and if not for the people who try to keep the tech working during an apocalypse, then there are a lot of stories that can't happen. The protagonist would be dead. And so here I am, and like, it, I don't know what this looks like to other people, but it's gone through so many iterations um, of all of these wires and half-broken electronics, and every time I manage to broadcast, almost every time I'm using a different combination of half-broken electronics that I have managed to Frankenstein, like, stitch together and get them to, to put something on the Internet and um, how is it that I'm living that person's life? How is it that that's happening? I think that's um, pretty astonishing. But I think a lot of people are finding themselves in positions like that. It's just me and a bunch of other people were recognizing it some years before the coronavirus brought the apocalypse into stark clarity. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting that you're framing it like that because you've always had a very metafictional way of framing things. You, you, you know, you see, you see the ways that reality and fiction interact, and you like to frame things as stories because it makes a difference. It, it, a lot of the time when you're talking about things being apocalyptic, you're also framing yourself and others 
as heroes in a movie, in an action movie. And so you're not just saying, oh, no, everything's really, really bad. You're saying, and we're heroes. And that's the silent part that people often don't hear when you're saying that. That's something else that's really weird to me that I would love to talk about at some point because I feel, and I think a lot of people feel, that we really need the stories in order to survive the real-life circumstances, much like Eli in that movie needs his music in order to survive his circumstances so he finds, I don't remember what happens, and maybe I'll watch it again. Um, there are a lot of apocalypse stories where somebody is hanging on to, to a lone iPad, uh, an iPod or, or, or something, um, some little music playing device that is the last one that anybody's seen for a while or something like that. Um, and it, it seems that... Wow, I couldn't do that a few months ago. I don't know if I could do that a month ago. Um, it seems that without a grasp of our stories, we may not be able to learn how to become a successful protagonist in one of our stories. And there are so many stories in the world that I have felt strengthened me to act in the ways that were needed. Whereas I see people really absorbed in stories that they're being offered by the entertainment industry, but by a lot of different people and places. Um, and they do not they do not seem to have gotten to the point where they where they say, I must act, I must be brave, like the person in this story, I must be clever, like the person in this story. They they haven't crossed that threshold yet, but people whose whose lives are being threatened in, in very acute and extreme ways seem to be able to recognize that they they have already learned something from the stories they've been absorbing and so they can they can move into that they can recognize that and it i guess it may simply be that that many people haven't experienced enough extremity for their body to say okay now it's time to be the people in the stories because what are we going to do if we're not the people in the stories maybe maybe you have to actually have your life really threatened or someone close to you have their life really threatened. Um, but stories are so crucial. And I think that many people who are afraid of how they, how they should act in extremity. And, and so they, they, they don't do anything. They don't say anything. They are silent. We wonder where they went. We don't know if they're okay because they just can't interact with something this extreme. Um, it would be helpful if we could use our, new radio infrastructure to help those people understand that there's a very good chance that they have understandings subconsciously that are ready to kick into gear if, if they are courageous enough to confront the real circumstances that, that we are all kind of um, waiting around in. And I, I hope that that's the case. And I feel I feel as if it may be the case that, that if we can recognize this together and it's a collaborative conversation and we believe in ourselves and in one another and we remind ourselves of the stories that we remember, 
we might know a lot more about how to get through this together than we ever previously surmised. Yes, I think so. I think that um, sometimes people genuinely don't get inspired by stories and just see them as entertainment. And I think that that can be, it can be just people being like that, or it can be people being very rational and going, oh, but that's fiction. So of course it's not gonna be like reality. Um, uh, but I also think that a lot of people want to be like someone in a story and are trying and you just can't see it just because someone who appears to be scared may be very desperate to be, be exactly like their favorite hero and they just aren't managing to show it in a way that you can see a lot of people are having to rise to heroic occasions completely invisibly a lot of people are having to rise to heroic occasions in ways where it looks like they're managing and people will assume that they're managing and yet they may have no opportunity or have no language with which to talk about what's actually happening for them. And that is the case with every single person basically anywhere, I think. Yeah. I think that's a really good note to end on. I right. am pleased that this seems to be working and StreamYard seems to be working. And I had another question for you, but I'll actually, I'm gonna try something. Hold on a minute. Okay. I'm getting better at the buttons, but I'm still slow at the buttons. Oh, well done, no worries. I think I did it right. So the one thing that I want to talk about before we go is how at the beginning of our conversation, I accidentally called you Eve. And I wondered if you would like to comment on that because there are a lot of people newly, uh, newly navigating um, people in their lives uh, whose names have changed or who, whose gender pronouns are different than expected or something like that. And I love to model what we can of how we handle those interactions um, so that others who aren't familiar might also be able to feel better. I don't want to get, um, there's a part of me that goes, oh no, I used the wrong name for somebody. And, and I, it is a clenching up and, and, and what does this mean for the other person? And I'm pretty sure that, that, that respectfully asking the other person what it means for them is usually the most appropriate approach. And I would love your insights on it. Thank you. Um, okay, well, uh, just to make it clear for anyone listening, um, Eve is my birth name. Um, I'm non-binary, so I go by Evan now. Um, and you knew me as, as Eve originally, and so, you know, sometimes people forget, which is what happened there. Um, so if you are the person who forgot, and if somebody in your life has just changed their name or their pronouns, you are going to forget no matter how much you love them and no matter how valid you think they are and no matter how hard you are trying, you're going to get it wrong sometimes because your brain knows them as whatever they were. It's okay to forget sometimes. And if they aren't expecting it now, they very soon will be because it happens. Just say, oh no, I'm sorry. And say the right name and just... I'm trying to remember if that's what I did. I think yeah. I probably did. 
Yeah, you know, you don't have to make a huge deal of it as long as you, like, emanate. I'm sorry, I failed to say your correct name, which is yours, which describes you, you know, then it's fine. There's, I mean, I think it probably depends on the person and, like, how bad their dysphoria is. Dysphoria, I can't even say it. Sure. Um, but for me, I'm not that upset if somebody gets my name wrong. I'll just go, oh, you know, whoops. Um, but it, how do I say this? It's very, very different from somebody doing it maliciously. Like, um, I know someone who is constantly dead named by his best friend's mother. And, hang on, cannot go round their house because of all the dead naming. And it's not an accident, it's because she doesn't believe that he's valid. So, uh, and that is a very, 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 very different experience, and we can tell the difference. Yeah. You know, we don't think that you're going, ooh, you have a silly name that I will not say because it's too silly. You know, we know it's not that, hopefully. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've explained very well. I think no, I think it's wonderful. It helps me a lot um, also because, so I've had conversations like these a zillion times and then, and then my neurons get wiped out from brain death over and over and over and over again. And I notice when I, when I've been, I don't know how to say it. It's like all of the neurons are just like gone. They're like a wildfire has just burned all the way through and they're just gone. But then what's left are the, the most basic little ideas and memories from which I can rebuild a lot of what happened um, just by healing my own body and by looking at my documentation or talking to other people and remembering stuff that has happened. Um, and I have noticed repeatedly that not only with you, but with others whose names have changed since I knew them, um, when I get wiped out like that, it's like I get reset to the names that people had when I originally met them. And that's been fairly consistent through all of this repeating brain damage. It's really interesting to me. Um, so I thought that that would all be kind of worth exploring for a few minutes before we wrapped up. That is interesting. And of course, you've had quite a few name changes yourself, haven't you? Well, when you get killed over and over again, but your body is still walking around and people try to call you the name of the person who died when they don't notice that that person died, it, it feels really weird to me. And I've, I've hung on to names, like I've hung on to the name Max because if I really change my name as often as I feel like I'm a completely new person, I don't know how much headway I'd be making in communicating with others. I don't know, maybe I'd be doing better possibly. Um, but I noticed that um, there's a huge relief in using a different name because how many, how many ways do we have to communicate with other people that the person they knew, something happened to the person that they knew, something, um, something harmed the person they knew, something changed the person they knew. In my case, the person that, that others knew was allowed to die over and over again, was allowed to be tortured to death over and over and over again. 
Um, and that is entirely invisible if I don't use a different name and say, hey, quit calling me Megan Elizabeth Morris. Because when you call me Megan Elizabeth Morris, but you fail to acknowledge how Megan Elizabeth Morris died, something is really wrong here. I see so what you mean. Me being able to reclaim my own names to bring the pieces of myself back and put them together again, um, it requires me to have some way of asking others to respect the experiences that I've had and what I've been through. And changing my name has seemed like a really necessary part of that, that, that I could not accomplish certain things unless I used a different name. Yes, that's actually very clear. Like, because your neurology has been repeatedly destroyed and rebuilt because you weren't getting your needs met. And if people think that you're still the same person, then they have missed the severity of how badly you weren't getting your needs met and what that did to your neurology and what that means vis-a-vis -vis the person they're now talking to. So making them call you a different name is, insofar as they're able to understand that, is making them remember that. Yeah, and for me, when I am constantly under threat of uh, mortal poisoning, um, if, if I never know when my, my uh, toxic load in my body is going to be too much for my body to be able to survive, um, I need really straightforward cues from other people about whether I'm safe with them. And one of the things that other people, um, that people who knew me before I was Max, that, that those people can do to make sure that, that they are aware of the ways that, that I can be most safe with them, if they call me Max, I know they've gotten at least some of these communications. Um, and if they call me by, by the previous name, there's a chance that they won't protect me from what killed her. I see. My big points. And I, I know that it's not the same for everybody, but my experience has been so extreme that having reminders and accessible conversations about the different experiences people have that cause them to change their names or, or present in different ways, um, that's so important to me. A lot of people are dying and and coming to terrible harm just because people don't understand how they're expressing themselves. And many of them, they're expressing themselves differently because of trauma that is not being addressed in their environments, whether it's one kind or another. Um, thanks for helping me unravel more of the conversation. You're very welcome, thank you. So we've been broadcasting for an hour and four minutes and now it is nine seconds. So I think I know what to do to add this to our content streams most expediently, and I'm going to try and do it. Fantastic. Well, good luck, and thank you for this excellent conversation. Thank I don't know how to stop being on the screen. No, it's okay. <laughs> what will be, let's see, how will I do it? I will, I mean, like, I would have an outro or something. For instance, I would say, Thank you so much for listening to this intuitive public radio broadcast. Find out more about what we're working on by navigating your web browsers to intuitive.pub slash radio. But that wasn't bad. That was great. Thanks.
This message from grandmotherscouncil.org. It's been making the rounds for a few years. Quote, As you move through these changing times, be easy on yourself and be easy on one another. You're at the beginning of something new. You're learning a new way of being. You will find that you are working less in the yang modes that you are used to. You will stop working so hard at getting from point A to point B the way you have in the past. But instead, will spend more time experiencing yourself in the whole and your place in it. Instead of traveling to a goal out there, you will voyage deeper into yourself. Your mother's grandmother knew how to do this. Your ancestors from long ago knew how to do this. They knew the power of the feminine principle and because you carry their DNA in your body, this wisdom and this way of being is within you. Call on it, call it up. Invite your ancestors in as the yang-based habits and the decaying institutions on our planet begin to crumble, look up. A breeze is stirring. Feel the sun on your wings. Stay tuned to these signals from IPR for the next installment of our conversations about metamorphosis. How do you metamorphose today? Following our short clips from our participation in the April 2020 Three Rivers Thunder digital drum circle going out over IPR Pittsburgh, you can find a link to the Three Rivers Thunder Facebook group in our broadcast document, which you can find at the top of intuitive.pub text. We will be embedding videos also if you navigate to intuitive.pub radio.